This presentation is from Design Research 2020, Day 1. Hello, Paul. And I'll I hand stay. over to you. Welcome and, and thanks for joining us. Thank you. Great. Thank you. All right. Um, the title of this talk is It's All Invented. And it talks about new frames for design research. So as Steve said, a number of the projects um, that we've been working on recently and uh, even more recently have involved a lot of work uh, with remote participants and researching remotely. And while I wanna talk about some of the tools and technology, uh, what I'd like us to do is draw a bigger box around that and think about what that enables us to do and how does that constraint or assumption uh, allow us to think about some new frames in the way that we're working. So I'm going to take you through some, some, some thoughts on that. So this comes from um, the inspiration, if you like, comes from a book called The Art of Possibility. It's a great read. Um, and one of the, the, the key lessons from this one is that all the stories that we tell ourselves are founded on assumptions that we make. So if it is all invented, how might we shift our frames and those assumptions that we make to have different assumptions to give us new choices? And I think that really applies particularly uh, in the time that we've, we face now in terms of a lot of different ways of researching and a lot of different ways of working. So what I'm gonna talk about is seven conventions for design research that are worth challenging. And all of the different tools and techniques that I'll talk about today are certainly remote and remote in terms of the way that they work. However, what I'd like us to focus on is, as I said, draw a bigger box around that and allow us to think about our practices and the, main, the way that that enables us to reinvent the way that we work, the way that we research to get better outcomes. And I really like this quote from one of the principles of field research from, um, from Yan Chipchase. And he talks about a number of principles. And this one is that the normal rules don't apply. And this is not in, in this is in every field study. It gives us that opportunity each time that we embark on field work to create a new reality. And with it, it helps release the team and indeed the people that we're working with from those mental constraints. So let's take one of the first ones. When we think about design research, a convention is that we're doing user interviews. But first and foremost, users are people. And if we think about that particular frame, then that starts to open up a new one around how can we start to use the sessions that we're having and reframe those user interviews as conversations with people to understand their life, the domain that we're working in and the designs that we're putting out there. So what this allows us to do, if we think about a situation where we've had to recently think about the research that we might be doing in a physical location, in a workplace or in um, someone's home, and then now we're forced to think about doing that in a remote way. So one of the conventions to follow that is to say, let's take those same participants and let's use video or audio technology. So same people in their same locations, we're not gonna be there, but we're gonna call them up or we're gonna have a video chat with them. 
But if we think about that and say, well, if we are going to video chat and we are going to, does that mean that we have to talk to those same people in those same physical locations? And suddenly that starts to open up, well, maybe we should think about and can think about some different participants. So how can we then be more inclusive in the designs that we're doing by including different participants that we might not have thought about before, but now that we're remote and now that we're working in a different way, that allows us to talk to those people. So a recent study here involved um, people that we couldn't necessarily reach in Sydney, but we were able to talk to them in a variety of rural locations and locations across Australia in other states. What it also allows us to do is increase that um, capability that we have for scaling this discovery phase. So instead of all the costs associated with the travel, the airfares, those sorts of things, that suddenly starts to free up resource for increasing, again, the scale of, of, the, of the research that we're able to do. And by extending the research experience, maybe we don't just have one call with a person, maybe we have another follow-up one, maybe we get to, to talk to them two or three times, again, because it's not necessarily just that one time that we're actually going to that location and having those conversations. And what it allows us to do is build on that understanding that we have with people. And so we start to appreciate some of that more complex social exchange that can happen as part of it. And one of the, the, the benefits also too is that it becomes more sustainable for people and also for, for the planet. I've listed some particular tools and technologies that we've used. So um, Zoom is, is great, it's what we're using now. Um, there's a great tool that goes along with that, which is Otter and helps transcribe the recordings that you're making on, on Zoom. Um, how what I will say is it can be really important to just use familiar technology for participants. So um, we've had lots of experiences where participants may not have been able to download particular software or uh, organisations block certain um, apps from being installed. So you can always revert to a phone call or, or those uh, FaceTime or some of those familiar technologies for people. We've used a number of tools to get consent. So um, there's uh, Qualtrics, if um, the organisations that you're working with have that as a particular platform. Uh, DocuSign as well. But again, you can go particularly lo-fi with that, um, photograph the consent form, send it out to people, ask them to sign it, get them to photograph and send it back. You can also do audio and video consents as well too while you're on the, in the particular sessions. And in terms of reimbursements, there's a great um, site called GiftPay, which allows you can um, purchase incentives for people on that. There's lots of banking technology like Beamit um, that you, again, you can use to reimburse people directly as, as, as well too. So um, again, don't want to necessarily focus on the tools and technology, although they are important, it's important to think about what this then enables if we are reworking in these particular ways. Um, one of the things that uh, I think is really important to, to, to think about is what um, the impact of that technology as well too. And I really like this quote from Richard Sennett, which talks about how particularly in technology, but it also applies in institutions where we shed context, um, it often can start to dilute the kinds of communication that we're having with people. Um, and I think a lot of people like more recently have felt the impact of that as they've started to work in different ways. Um, and I think an important part of this is to think about how technology is more likely to bend human will rather than bend in response to it. Um, and we can start to see the impacts of of AI and machine learning around 
what decisions would have been made by humans have now been allocated to, to machines. Um, you can start to see the impact, I suppose, of technology and how that can start to make bias more, more rigid and more widespread than what it would have been in the past. And for us as researchers, I think that's important for us to bear in mind uh, when we're using this particular technology to work with people. Design research is recruiting users. So we want to do some design research. The convention is let's just go out and recruit some users. However, if we think about the community uh, in which our products and services that we're designing, um, designing uh, for and with people, then it starts to again put a bigger box around that recruitment picture. The map that you see in the background here is a recent um, piece of work that we did. And these were all the locations. So we, we interviewed uh, over 50 people and these were all the different locations uh, where those people were. How many of those locations we traveled to? None. We actually did all of these sessions in a remote way and we actually were able to cast the net as widely as possible and to think about all the different people that might have different contexts that we wanted to explore as part of this work. So again, we're not limiting, limiting to a physical location through which we're able to travel to, but let's think about what that community looks like and invite all of those people in as part of that. And how do we start to do that? It's a basically trying to get a enrich diversity around some of those different recruitment sources that we might use. And again, you can start to see here, we just didn't restrict ourselves to a single platform. We actually use um, personal networks, uh, LinkedIn, so existing networks that were already in place. Um, and we we're also able to use different interactions that people have had previously and reworking those and recontacting those people, um, either they um, posted something on Twitter, they'd shared something on Medium, they'd shared something in a forum, Reddit. Again, these were all ways that we were able to say, actually, that person's got a really interesting take on that. Let's see if we can get some time with them and, and talk to them. So we weren't limited in the way that we were recruiting because we wanted to try and explore more broadly what that cultural container looks like for the products and services that we were designing with. So again, there's a deeper understanding of the context of the product and the service we get an enriched diversity because of uh, a participant language and tools and practices. Um, and we're also getting an increased capacity to scale because again, we're not traveling to those locations, which is again, more sustainable for people and planet. We can think about a convention of design research as a, a synchronous interaction. So we go out once, we talk to that person, there might be a little bit of follow-up or in and around that, but pretty much it's that we've done one interview, we've gone out and we've chatted to that person. But what if we started to think about it as what technology enabled was beyond that singular interaction at a moment in time? So the disruption or the reframe becomes, let's think about synchronous methods and let's think about asynchronous methods as a way for people to share more about their lives. The um, blurred photo, it's intentionally so on the right, is actually from a uh, an app that we used in a study called Experience Fellow, where participants were able to actually map their journey. There's geolocation, so we could see where they were when they were interacting. They were able to describe and diarise what it was they are experiencing. They are also able to share video footage um, and also some imagery as well as part of what they are experiencing. 
Um, so in that way, they were able to tell us what their experience was like um, at that particular moment in time and also to be able to reflect on those experiences as well as part of that, that diary study. So this particular participant didn't want to be interviewed. They um, were quite um, in the way that is described, they didn't necessarily want to be uh, in, involved in that part of it, but they were more than willing to share a diary of their experiences. And I have to say, it's one of the most richest pieces of data that we were able to collect in this particular study, more so than some of the sessions that we went out and spoke to people in a face-to-face -face way. So again, there's a beautiful moment of self-disclosure. If you are able to ask more questions about the um, diary entries that people are make, it becomes reflexive. And again, you deepen the understanding as well too. So again, don't have to be there in person with, 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 with the participants. Um, it's just a way that they can, again, share, share what it is that's going on for them. So again, we increase that diversity of the people that we're designing with. So we can use, we don't have to use apps like Experience Fellow. Again, we can use familiar platforms. It can just be a text and imagery that people send through their mobiles. It can be um, social media that people are already uh, interacting with, something that's familiar to them. Of course, you want to try and make that um, as frictionless as possible for them to be able to share in the moment when they're feeling it. Design research is understanding what people think and feel. Yes, yes it is. However, what again, um, technology can enable for us is ask a bigger frame around that as well too. And I really love this quote um, around, uh, people are adaptive systems continually producing and exploiting a rich world of cultural structure. So that heavy interaction of internal and external structure suggests that boundary between inside and outside or between individual and context should be softened. So rather than just asking people how they're feeling, how they're thinking, what's that ecosystem around those people? What's their context? And let's research that as well. So again, um, we can start to think about, here's a, a Zoom chat that's going on with a person and a number of people that they're working with. And they're also showing us the broader network or their broader ecosystem of people um, that they're working with as part of that. So blurring that boundary between individual and context. And I really love this, this sketch. So my colleague Zoe uh, drew this particular one for us and it starts to show the person, but it also starts to show that context for them. So what are all the different platforms that they're actually interacting with to try and satisfy those needs and aspirations that they have? So researching those and understanding what they're getting from, from those particular platforms um, start to point towards those needs that are not currently being met by the design that we're, or the service and uh, the product or the service that we're putting out there. So again, we get a deeper understanding of the context in the individual. However, uh, I will also say that this is an additional burden because you're actually doing more research around some of those services and products that people are interacting with as well too. So, um, a big one here in terms of a workshop needs to be in a venue. So we've got to do a workshop or let's book a venue. Well, we can. However, again, in the time that we're in, it might be more prudent to think about how we can do that remotely. And again, this is an experience that we've, um, we've been working with for uh, a number of years now, again, because of the location of the people that we're designing with. So this is a distributed session that we held on um, a, a peer in and we used Candor to set up some different 
ideas, um, a brainstorming session for, for people to generate different ideas. And down the side that we've got the chat that we're familiar with now is when we're doing these types of remote sessions. Um, in this particular one, um, I love the photo of the mum with, 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 with her son in that. And then, so you're seeing people are just bringing their lives to the, to the screen here. And we were actually able to have um, healthcare people as part of this. It was, it was a, a healthcare study. And we we're also able to involve the client in that as well too. So again, you're broadening the participation. And in, in the doing of that, you're actually making that design process more participatory as well. So you get that greater diversity of people as participants. It also starts to challenge the hierarchy as well too, because um, in that particular way of, of, of workshopping, um, everyone has a, an equal moment, equal moments if you like to be able to, to, to contribute and to share. Um, and again, by inviting more of the people that were um, working with as part of the design, it becomes more participative in, 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 in the way of doing it. Again, better capacity to scale. Uh, we can absorb the complexity because if anyone can get onto the platform, then anyone can participate. So again, we can have um, multiple people, uh, multiple stakeholders as part of that. And it does reduce cost as well because not hiring venues, not traveling to workshop locations as well too. So um, I've listed some of the tools there as well. So um, Zoom, Hangouts, um, and the board that you can see in the background there is a mural board. And this is a workshop that we ran remotely. And you can see here there's some, some different um, activities that were generated for each of the groups that they were working on. And I really love the way that this worked in terms of being able to see the complete flow of the workshop on the board that we were working with. So it was a live board. Um, you could zoom in and out. So there was prioritisation that was going on that you can see highlighted there in the box. Um, so again, a really great way to be able to um, to, to work remotely. Um, analysis synthesis, that involves post-it notes on a board. Yes, it does. Um, it can also involve um, virtual sessions. So again, tools like Mural and Miro, um, which you can see here in the background, uh, allow us to do that. You can live sketch on some of these as well too. Um, and you can also make video calls while you're doing it too. So again, if we start to reframe it, analysis and synthesis as post-it notes on a board to think about a bigger box, it's basically how can we use it, uh, technology and the platform to collaborate, to make meaning together. So again, to invite more people into the process because anyone can see the board, anybody can contribute, any can, anybody can start to move stuff around. So it becomes less of designers working together in their own space and starts to broaden that out. And you can see here we invite participants into it as well and get them to reflect on the meaning that we're making and actually say, you know, what you said there, that's not what I really meant. What I, when I said this, this is the kind of thing that I was talking about. Or let me show you what it's like. Or let me deconstruct that journey map that you've started to build there and I'm going to draw it in the way that feels right for me. So again, um, you're actually deepening um, that understanding and you're also making the design process more participative. Um, research experience frameworks as a moment in time. So um, the convention, I suppose, is we have these static journey maps that we can put up there and they have value, they show to the end, end experience. But what if we thought about those as dynamic rather than static? So, and again, the technology has started to enable this for us. So um, something like Miro, we've started to do a lot of our mapping on that 
and we've actually invited um, clients into this. We're actually able to get them to build the map collaboratively with us. So uh, we've set up some object libraries, some colours for people to be able to use. But again, it's actually getting people involved and reframing it to think about as a, a way for creating empathy and insight uh, and sharing that more broad, broadly within the organisation. How does the technology enable us to do that? So uh, Miro and Mural again, there's also a tool called Figma, um, which we've been using as well. Um, and in the, the blurry map behind you, we're actually, you can see, um, we're actually linking in um, footage and film from the sessions that we've done. So not only on the map is it a vignette, but it's actually you can play the film that actually describes what it is, the pain that that person's feeling at that particular moment in time. And we're all, uh, also able to start to build in different platforms and links off to different sites that people have talked about. And so you can start to see how it becomes much more interactive, but also not static in a way as not that moment in time, but you can keep adding layers to it, keep adding meaning to it, to actually think about what it really is that we're, we're sharing here and what it is the intent is, which is actually how do we start to get insight into people's experiences? How do we start to create empathy for those people to, to inspire better designs in the future? And also in the doing of this, we're starting to build the capability of the people that we're designing with. So in organisations where they are actually able to contribute and build those maps with us, um, they're starting to learn what that process looks like. So rather than designers doing it for designers and then sharing that back out, it actually becomes much more collaborative in that way. All right, so just to kind of bring that to, 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 to a close, let's think about the time that we're in, the technology that we have, and rather than using existing conventions and those same practices and just putting them into um, a virtual space or an online space, let's use this moment, let's use that technology to start thinking about new frames for the way that we're researching and the way that we're designing. So reframing user interviews, reframing recruitment to be a community. Can it be not only just that moment in time, but also other moments in time as well? Can it be thinking more about the system and not just about the people that we're actually researching with? Let's think about more platforms as a way for, and the technology as a way for us to collaborate. And so in doing so, we're making the design process more participatory and we're actually deepening and making better those designs um, that we're building and, and, and sharing out into the world. So I'm gonna stop there. And, um, and to say thank you so much for, for the opportunity to, to, to share this with you. Um, and I, again, I just really want to emphasise this is that moment when we can actually start to think about a better way of doing things, not just the same old ways in a different, in a different, different frame. Thank you, Paul. Thanks very much. Um, we have uh, a few questions, which I'll, I'll fire off um, if you have a moment to stick with us. Um, the first yeah, question please. comes from Lena. They ask, or they say that sometimes having a, a rich understanding of context is a researcher's dream, but it can be overwhelming and a little too diverse for clients. How do you bridge that gap? Uh, it's, it's, it's a great question. And I think um, the way to, to, one of the ways that we've worked with this is to think about um, that system in the context of what can become important for, for clients. So, um, and I'll give an example of that to make it tangible. So uh, clients are often worried, well, what are our competitors doing? 
And so we can start to think about what are the interactions that the people that we're researching with in that broader system form interactions with those competitors and then start to lay their experiences from that in, again into the insights that we're building. And so things that are interesting for the client as part of that system are the things that we should be bringing to the fore there. Thanks, Paul. Um, the next question comes from Kellyanne. They ask, well, they say that the, they love the idea of remote workshops. They're conscious that they tend to favour or privilege those who can think quickly and who are neurotypical. Do you have any recommendations for how to engage with people who are not neurotypical, atypical, or to help them in those environments to ensure that everyone gets a, um, an opportunity, even in those remote settings? Uh, great question, and I'll, I'll say that I'm one of those people. So <laughs> when I'm in a workshop, so um, it, cognizant of that, and the way that we've tried to build in that is in the way that we would do it in a um, in-person workshop as well, which is ensuring that people have um, those moments of uh, personal time to be able to generate ideas and then sharing those back out. So allocating time in the session for people to be able to do that and then being able to share that back out. One of the interesting tools that I talked about there, Candle, uh, the brainstorming tool. So, you know, you might set, let's, let's take three minutes and as individuals write down different ideas that, that come to mind. So Candle allows people to do that privately, um, which then gets shared back out for people. So it's the same thing that we would be doing in person at a workshop, uh, we're allowing the technology to do that. And I'd have to say, in some of those instances where the technology is used right, um, it actually becomes easier for people to be able to share in that way, because they don't even have to read it out. <laughs> They're just going to be able to, to, you can see the output um, already. So. The next question um, is from someone who tried to run a workshop session yesterday uh, with about 10 people and it was quite challenging or it became quite challenging to make sure that everyone speaks up. So do you have any advice there? Uh, just following on from that last one. Yeah, I, I, it's a similar sort of process. I think we're inviting people um, to, to contribute privately and then um, and, and allowing time for that again to be, to be shared back out. Yeah. One of the things I will say is that We've had different experiences of running workshops where some of the people have been in the room and some of the people have been um, remote. That's a yep. big one. And um, I think the learning, the big learning from that from, from, from me is if one person's remote, everybody should be remote. So even if you're in the same room, you all should, you all should be acting as though that you're not in that room. You should all have headphones on and being able to talk. And I think that starts to even out things and make things uh, better for people. Because what we were finding was that the people that weren't in the room were having less to say than the people that were actually actually there. So that's that's a really big one. Yeah. It's easy for them to miss out on those non-verbal cues that indicate a pause and the opportunity to contribute when they're not remote, especially when they can't, um, when they're audio only. Um, that's, that would also be challenging. I've got one last question for you from Emma. Um, have you ever had this go terribly wrong, these new ways of, of conducting research? 
Yes. <laughs> Many times. <laughs> um, there's, there's lots of failures. Uh, I've talked about the positives um, and, and to, to try and get us to think about those, those frames in different ways. Um, it's the, the, the approach that we would take is everything's a prototype. We're always prototyping this mm. and uh, there's always better ways to be able to do things in, in the future. So um, test, learn and, and, and keep testing and keep learning is, is the advice that I would have around that. And will I expect failure in the future around that? Absolutely I will as we try new and different ways of doing things. Yeah. Um, it's just a, a, a way to, 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 to uh, work out a better way of doing it in the future. Yep. Okay. Thank you very much, Paul. That was that was wonderful. Um, we will thank leave you. you there. Enjoy the rest of your day, and thank you for for joining us today. Thank we'll see you. you soon. Thank you. Bye.